Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. I get the opportunity to to uh, ride a lot of different horses, and and one of the, one of the main things in this area that that, that that's job security for horse trainers is is taking on older horses that that are maybe have some problems and trying to help them and and fix them back up so that they can re-enter society and and uh, um, so it, it, it there, there there's a lot of them out there and and uh, so I I get a lot of people that are asking me about them and and usually the way the story starts is is things were going along and then all of a sudden sudden something. Uh, they had a problem, and so now they're they're not able to to handle that horse anymore. And and that's that's usually the way the story goes. Is you know I was riding along, everything was fine, and then all of a sudden this horse bucked me off. Or you know as everything was going fine, and then all of a sudden this horse kicked me. Or everything was good, and then you know out of the blue, um, you know I had a wreck. And and so. Um, Having been around horses my whole life, I understand that that is that is an owner's perspective. But that's maybe not necessarily always the case with with what happens, because because usually with horses there's there's a uh, there's a warning, and and if we're observant enough, if if we're watchful, if if we're vigilant, we're going to see that warning coming, and we're going to be able to do something about it before the big wreck happens. Uh, that's part of horsemanship is learning that process of, of being observant, being watchful enough to be able to see and, and know horses well enough that we know something's building up in them, something's going to happen. And sometimes it does happen fairly quickly, but it's never just out of the blue and it's never just for no reason. There's a reason. And so um, every time that I've been in a horse wreck, the horse has told me that, that they're going to do something. I just either wasn't vigilant enough, wasn't watchful enough, didn't know it was coming, or maybe just didn't have time or just ignored it. I remember one time I was, I was in a big hurry to, to go fishing, and I was, had, the, had the motor home packed up. You know, I don't, I don't sleep in a tent. I don't sleep on the ground. It's, yeah. Slept on the ground enough, cowboy, and I'm not going to do that. So had the motor home packed up. The, the, the Serta mattress was nice and just perfect. The, Big fluffy blankets, everything was was just fine, and and I didn't remember to take a fishing pole that time. Um, but but we we had we the the motorhome was running, and I went out and I thought, I gotta go go close those heifers in or whatever. I went out there, I looked, I checked on the heifers that were in the corral, and one of them had a bad eye, bad eye, uh, watery eye, and and it was bad enough. I was gonna be gone for four or five days. I thought, man, I don't want to wait and come back and have this. This uh, pink eye be real nasty. I'm just gonna go ahead and doctor her real quick. So just, just told Kathy, just keep it running. I, I won't be long. So I went and grabbed my good mare, saddled her up, cut her in half with the cinch, took the back cinch, cut her in half with that one because this mare's awesome. Never, never bucked in her whole life. Never give me any problems. And could doctor anything by myself on her. Didn't warm her up. Stepped on, shook out a loop, roped that critter. Uh, well, the, the 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 heifer, even though her eye was bothering her, that didn't seem to affect the rest of her, and and uh, she started kind of giving me some trouble, and and actually got behind me and kind of run up under the, the hind legs of my horse, 
Um, well, having a horse that wasn't warmed up and wasn't prepared and everything, it was a little too much for her. And uh, that mare that had never bucked, my sweetheart, uh, launched me about 30 feet in the air in about two jumps. I mean, she cut it loose. Uh, so those kind of things, um, I wound up breaking some ribs and had, you know, it was, it was a little... It was a little rough those next five days casting that fishing pole, and it was all because I, I was watchful, but I, but I didn't heed the warning. I knew it was coming. I knew that, that what I was doing wasn't, wasn't right, but I didn't heed the warning. I wasn't vigilant, and that's what happens to us in our, in our Christian walk a lot of times. In Proverbs 20, verse 12, it says, Ears to hear and eyes to see, both are gifts from the Lord. God gave us those gifts, those ears to hear and the eyes to see. The eyes to see, to be watchful, to be vigilant, to, to be prepared for, for a life of Christianity. We, uh, a lot of times we look, but we don't see what's, what's, uh, ahead of, what, what's right in front of us. <laughs> I'm guilty of that. A lot of times I'm in a hurry and I, and I'm, I got eyes, but I just don't see. And, and, when we read our Bible, a lot of times um, things aren't, aren't visible to us until a certain time in our life, until a certain moment. There's certain things that are, that are hidden from us, and then all of a sudden, when the time is right, our eyes can actually see. Um, the, uh, in Ezekiel, chapter 3, so Ezekiel is, is given his orders. He's a prophet, and he's... he's uh, He's been sent to Israel because Israel's rebelling against God, and Ezekiel's been sent to him to uh, to be a watchman. And he's he's not on the he's not on the wall watching for for enemies. He's he's actually they're supposed to be their spiritual watchman. And so God tells him, "So after seven days, the Lord gave me a message. He said, Son of man, I have appointed you as watchman for Israel. Whenever you re- receive a message from me, warn people immediately.'" If I warn the wicked, saying, You are under the penalty of death, but you fail to deliver the warning, they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them and they refuse to repent and keep on sinning, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself because you obeyed me. So he's putting, he's putting a, lot of, a lot on Ezekiel. He's saying, Here's your job. You're supposed to go out and, and tell, tell these people about me and warn them to repent. Now, if, if you tell them and they don't repent, then, then you're not at fault because you did your job. You told them uh, about, about the truth, and it's up to them to, if, if they want to repent or not. He said, but if you refuse to tell them, if you don't tell them, and they wind up uh, dying, dying in eternity, then it's your fault. That's, that's heavy. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, that, that, that was, he, he told that directly to Ezekiel. <laughs> but I think we're in the same boat, right? That's our job as, as Christians is not only to, to make sure that, that our own salvation and our own ducks are in a row, but, but we're supposed to go out and tell others about our Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ so that we can save, help save them. We can't save them, but we can, we can tell them the truth so they have the opportunity to be, to be saved. If we refuse to do that... I don't know. We, we may be at fault. We, when, on Judgment Day, we might have to answer for that. I'm guessing we probably will. Okay? All of us have a friend or a family member or, or someone we know, some, maybe someone we don't know, um, who, 
needs to know the truth about Jesus Christ because they are not going to make it if, we, if someone doesn't tell them. Someone has to tell them. And so if, if, we, if we decide, well, I'm just too uncomfortable to do that. I just don't, I don't, don't feel like doing that today. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. And, and they die and, and, they, you know, and they don't make it to heaven. That may be on us. Um, so once again, let's be, make sure that we're, we're watchful that we're vigilant for those kind of people that come into our lives. God puts those people in our lives every day, and we have an opportunity to make that decision <coughs> to be watchful for their spirit, okay? We need to be watchful for each other, for this church, for each other's spirits. Um, not everybody that sits on a, here on a Sunday is, is uh, necessarily going to make it into God's kingdom, okay? Because you can sit here and listen, but if but if we don't if we don't actually believe and and take action, some of us aren't going to make it. So let's be watchful for for uh, our families, our friends, our 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 church. Be watchful in our marriages, um, and watchful in in our group of unbelievers that we get around, uh, because we have an opportunity to to maybe influence them enough to save them. That, that God can save them, okay? I read something this week from a, from a theologian that, that kind of spooked me a little bit, and, and uh, he's thinking the rapture's coming in, the, in this generation, and he's not the only one that, that, that thinks that, but uh, the, the argument was compelling, and the, the evidence was, was pretty real that, that the rapture is coming in this generation, which means that we're going to get to see it, a lot of us, Okay? Um, so, in Matthew 25, it's 42, it says, So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day our Lord is coming. Understand this, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Once again, we've got to keep watch. We have to be watchful and vigilant and observant, because the, the Bible tells us that things are going to happen in a certain order, and they're happening, all right? They're happening, people. Um, now, the devil kind of kind of has a has an interesting way of, of working with unbelief with with believers. He knows he's not going to 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 get us to believe that that God doesn't exist. He knows he's not going to get us to believe that Jesus didn't die for our sins. So he doesn't even try to do to mess with that. The way the devil comes in, he says. Well, there's no rush. There's no urgency. Take your time. You know, you, you can get saved later. Okay? Right now, why don't, you, why don't you dabble in some of this stuff? Why don't, why, don't, why don't you explore some of these temptations that are out in this world? Um, and then later on, you can, you can get real with God, and, and you, can, you can get right with him. And then, you know, it's kind of like the day before you die, you'll, 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 you'll be good. And that's that's a dangerous thing because we lose our sense of urgency, we lose our sense of uh, vigilance, of watchfulness on on these chronological events that are leading up to the end of the end of the world for for some of us. Um, and so I'm I'm guilty of it. I'm like, yeah, I just don't really feel like reading my Bible today. I'm going to read it tomorrow. You know. I don't really feel like going and visiting that guy in the hospital. I'll probably do it tomorrow or next week. or Maybe, maybe if I wait long enough, he'll get out of the hospital and I won't have to drive up there. 
Um, you know, I, I don't really feel like talking to my son about, you know, this, this, these issues he's having today because it's uncomfortable. I think I'll just maybe wait and do that. And, and that's the way the devil works in us. And we wait and we don't do it. I tell you what, you're not going to get all you need to know to be watchful enough uh, to be ready by sitting here only on a Sunday. And that's it. If that's, if that's the extent of your, of your walk with God, as you, you, you're going to show up on a Sunday for an hour, it's not going to be enough. Okay? We, have to, we have to not wait. We have to get busy, get right with God, uh, get, in, get in the Word, um, and remain ever watchful and vigilant because we don't know when that time is coming. And it may be sooner than we think. I'm going to pray for you. God, thank you so much for today, and thank you for this group of, of believers that have come to, to worship you and to hear your word. Thank you, much for, thank you so much for all who, are, who serve you in this ministry and, and who, are, who are doing their best to remain watchful and vigilant and, and uh, keep on their toes so that they, they're more than prepared when you come back, Lord, for us. Ask that you be with all those that are suffering, whether it be in sickness or in, in emotional or or in a depression or, or fighting a, an addiction. Ask that you be with them, Lord, to help them to to overcome that those things so that they can become useful for you, Lord. Ask that you protect us from the devil as he tries to infiltrate us and, and just tell us to wait. Uh, ask that you give us the courage in the in the the ability to act today and and get busy in your name in Jesus Christ's name we pray amen <coughs>
you're going to have to walk the walk, not just talk the talk, okay? So anyway, with all of that being said, uh, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to get started. So anyway, uh, whenever I was, I was probably, oh, I don't know, eight or nine years old, uh, I grew up near Pecos, Texas. I was born there, home of the world's first rodeo. Uh, some people in Colorado think it's at Deer Trail. It's okay to be wrong. There's nothing wrong with those people here in Colorado thinking that. It's fine. Everybody's entitled to being wrong sometimes. First rodeo was in Pecos, Texas. Pecos, Texas. And so anyway, uh, there was, you know, big shindig every single year, 4th of July, right? And so there was a little uh, Western wear store there called Buster's Barn. Go in and get you a nice pair of boots and stuff like that. And so they had a dummy roping contest one year, and, and, and me and my dad wanted me to enter up. And so uh, me and my brother entered up with uh, my cousin who lived in Pecos. You know, we all had our little kid ropes, and we went down there. Man, I was, I was going to be the next, you know, uh, Clay O'Brien Cooper, you know what I mean? And so anyway, we get down there, and they break us up into age brackets and Man, they had the buckles set out there, and I, I had already pictured in my mind what I was going to look like with one of them roping buckles. I was going to be cool, man, be strutting my stuff. And so they gave you like, I don't know, it was like 60 seconds or 90 seconds, something like that, to, to, to rope as many horns as you could in that amount of time. And so I watched my little brother go, and of course, he's only like four or five at the time, and you know, he, he, he can't do nothing. But, you know, he, he gives it his best. We cheer him on, you know what I mean? And so, anyway, it, they have like five or six dummies, so like that many kids can go at the same time. And so, anyway, it was us bigger kids' turns, right? So we got up there, and all I could think about was that shiny buckle. So, whew, boy, I was laying it on them. Whew, whew, and I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, I, I, didn't, I don't even think I, I missed, right? And so, anyway, we got done and everything, and I was like, Oh, that buckle's going to look so good on me. And, and then they had the award ceremony. And my little old brother, he won his first buckle. It was bigger than he was. He's like nine months old. We got a picture of him standing there with his buckle. Like, it's like that Geico commercial on him, right? <laughs> That's the way it looked, right? So my, my little brother wins his first buckle at like nine months old. And then it's like the sub-junior level or whatever I was. And I was like, oh, there were like five kids. I came in fifth. <laughs> I think that's whenever I decided that I didn't want to be a stupid roper anyway. It's dumb. Ain't no use in that. Ride bucking horses. I'd, I'd be good at that. And, but, you know, I, as, as crazy as it sounds, I, I think that that is when I first believed a lie. Today we're going to start a four-part series called The Lies We Tell Ourselves. The lies that we believe and, and we've just accepted them as fact and, and, and we've just never even looked back. It's just a lie that we've told ourselves that, that maybe the devil has told us that we have accepted as fact and, and, and how these lies can really hinder us in our growth, in our walk with God. I think it was after that little competition where I came in the top five that I believed the lie that I'd never be a good roper. Of course, it didn't help whenever I worked on the Rockerby Ranch. At, well, I didn't work there. My dad did. But, you know, um, w once we 
my grandmother sold our ranch whenever I was like two years old. And uh, my dad became a police officer until I was a junior in high school. I was a city kid until I was a junior in high school. And so dad went to work on this ranch, this big ranch. And so I got to go out there and help. And I, I remember the first time was gathering cattle. And I mean, I had me a rope and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I'd still rope the dummy every now and then. And all these calves got out and they said, go rope them. And so here I thundered out across there and I lined up on this calf and I threw and it was a pretty loop. It didn't hit nowhere close to the calf. Nowhere, not, not even the same like zip code. But it was a pretty loop. It really was. And so I finally caught the calf about 42 loops later. And really the way it happened is I chased that calf for so long that it finally came up to the, to the horse, moved my left foot out of the stirrup, towed the stirrup, climbed up in the saddle, just put his head through the coals because he was tired of me chasing him. That was the first calf I ever roped in the pasture. I always believed that I'd never be a good roper. But, you know, there's a misconception that when I said that I wasn't a very good roper, that doesn't mean I couldn't get the job done. There was this other time that a buddy called me and he said, hey, man, my steers got out. They're out here with this guy's cattle and he's, you know, ticked off. Can you come help me? And there was like three or four of them. I was like, yeah, man, I'll get my horse and... Anyway, we go, we go out there, and uh, it's, it's real brushy right out there at the ranch. And anyway, I find that, you know, he finds one, and he goes to rope it, and I find one, and I get lined out on it. And I had really been kind of doing a little bit of team roping with him, and, and I had always tied on, so I wasn't very good at dallying. And I'm still not very good at dallying, but that day I was like, okay, I'm going to really work on my dallying today. This will be a great opportunity to practice in the pasture. And so anyway, I got lined out on this steer and, and down there in Texas, Ty's been there. He'll tell you, you, they're, they're, you got to pick your spot. And so anyway, I was chasing him and I was chasing him and there was like a five second window and I reached out there and I roped and I caught it on the first try and I was so happy. I just pitched my slack <laughs> and watched the steer run off with my rope because I wasn't tied on. So I get my horse and I get up there and I'm chasing it and I'm chasing it and I'm chasing it and I'm chasing it and I'm chasing it. And finally it gets winded and it turns around and looks at me. I was like, I got you now. And I stepped off. Well, guess what happens when you chase a Corianti steer for about nine miles and it stops and turns and looks at you. He's mad, but you don't think about stuff like that when you're a cowboy. So I jumped off and I grabbed the rope and I looked at him and he's coming right up that rope. And I was like, ah, so anyway, I still got the rope, right? And so I start taking off running towards my horse. You got three guesses what happens next. That's a good pony. But a cowboy screaming, running in him with a Corianti steer on his, in both hind pockets was just too much. It was too much. And so my horse leaves me. <laughs> Luckily, there's enough brush. Anybody ever seen Shrek, how Shrek, tracked the dragon by taking the chain through all of the pillars in the castle. That's what I did with that steer. I just kept going around every mesquite bush I could and, and finally got him wound up enough that my buddy could come over and, and heal him. I said, how did you find me? I'd like to say he followed the noise of the crashing brush in the Viking conquest war cry. He said he heard a high-pitched squeal sounding like a baron going out. I don't believe him. But he came over and got him healed, and then, you know, I 
caught my horse and we got him loaded up. So just because I said I wasn't a very good roper doesn't mean I couldn't get the job done. Okay. But when I moved up here, I knew that my roping was one area that was really holding me back from being the cowboy that I wanted to be. So I took some steps to change that. I found a teacher. Ty. Maybe, I, I, I don't even know if I can say I found a teacher. Maybe he found me. Maybe it, was a, maybe it was a mutual something. But I found somebody that knew more than me, and, and I, I don't know whether I asked him or he volunteered, or maybe it was a combination of both. A lot of times those things happen like, hey, we're going to be roping out at the house if you want to come. And maybe there was a tryout that I really didn't know or something, but he offered and I, and I listened. I, I, I wanted to get better, so I found a teacher or or maybe we should say a teacher found me. And then I did everything it took to improve myself. Ty, Ty knew a, a, a style of roping that I had no idea about. I mean, there's 60-foot ropes and slick horns and no horn knots. And I mean, I, it was just, I was a fish out of water, right? But I, I went so far as to buy me a saddle like Ty had that's equipped for that style of roping, a custom-made saddle. I mean, I went all in. If I'm going to learn... I'm going to learn. And then I put in the practice. And just like he got through saying about Sunday, you know, I would go out there and have a lesson or, or whatever it took, but that was just a precursor to what I would do the rest of the week. I remember my son asking uh, my wife, he said, where's dad? She goes, where do you think he is? Out on the dummy. Because that's what it took. Nearly every single night I was out there on the dummy, on the dummy, practicing what Ty and others had taught me. I found a teacher. I did everything it took to set myself up. I put in the practice and I failed miserably. I actually made it to the finals in the first year that I was in the ranch roping competition in the novice division. I made it to the finals and really I made it to the finals because I had roped once that year. Everybody made the finals, right? Because there wasn't that many of us novice. And I got out there in the finals, and, and I was, uh, I was on, a t- on a team with two girls. And I, I always say I'm going to get a, a shirt that says I rope like a girl because they carried me the whole, the whole time. I think if I remember right, I threw 14 head loops that day and missed every single one of them before the short go. Now, I, I was pretty salty on the heel side, but I could not catch the head side to save my life. I failed miserably at the biggest roping of the year. But I did one other thing too. I also succeeded. And I succeeded because I found a teacher that knew what he was doing that was willing to pass along his knowledge. I did everything that it took. I put all of those things into practice. I failed miserably. I looked foolish in front of a lot of people that I really admire. And then I also succeeded because when we rode in there the short go, we were sitting first place. We were the last team up. And after 14 head loops of being missed, my two girl partners looked at me and said, you're heading this one. And I walked in there, started swinging a hula hand because it wasn't the safe shot, but it one that I'd been practicing. Found my cow, threw a long hula hand, necked it, drug it out. We won. Boom. Wear the buckle. It only took me till I was 43, I mean, 23 years old before I won my rope and buckle. But you see, these five things that I just mentioned, I wasn't the first to employ those things. I wasn't the first to employ this method of becoming everything that God called me to be. 
And you might think, well, so, so God called you to be a roper? No, he didn't call me to be a roper. But he put that desire in my heart because I used that to go serve, to go serve. Helped Gary, helped Ty, helped a lot of the cowboys in this room with that knowledge of being able to go out and serve. And that's who God has called me to be. But I wasn't the first to employ that method. Peter did it long before I did. See, in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse uh, 18 and 19, Peter finds a teacher, or maybe a teacher finds Pete. Starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to be fishers of men. See, Pete found him a teacher, or maybe a teacher found him. Find someone. If you want to become all that God has called you to be, then you're going to have to find someone that knows more than you do. And, and, and quite the contrary of, of what we try to pr- project to other people, we don't know everything. And if you want to grow, that means you're going to have to learn something that you don't know. So you're going to have to find somebody or let somebody find you. And, and I think that those two things happen simultaneously when you're on the right track to following God. Not only do you have to find a teacher or, or you, somehow God puts you with a teacher, you have to do what they say and learn from them. There's always this habit that we have when we go to learn from somebody else that we start telling them everything we know. <laughs> and and, and I, I've, been, I've been guilty of it before. And uh, anyway, there's, I was taking some martial arts classes with my good buddy, George. And there was a, another person that was in there with us during one of these martial arts classes. And Anyway, George was showing us some stuff, and my buddy said, oh, yeah, you know, let me show you how we did that. George was like, all right. And so, anyway, he, he, George kind of lets this guy do something, and then at the very end, <laughs> George got on top of him and just went, quack, 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 and just slapped him in the face, and he was going. And George was like, show me, show me, show me. <laughs> and finally, he quit. He's like, George asked, he said, why didn't you show me? He's like, well, you were hitting me in the face. And he said, that's why it doesn't work. <laughs> My buddy didn't tell George anymore what he knew. <laughs> he kept his mouth shut. I was like, dude, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but we have this deal that, that when we go to learn from somebody, we start wanting to tell them everything that we know. But you don't do that. If you want to learn how somebody else is doing something, th- then listen. See, the lie that we tell ourselves is this. I'll never be able to be who God has asked me to be. And that's not true. That's not true. But you got to find a teacher or have a teacher find you. A lot of times it's simultaneous. But you also have to be willing to do whatever it takes, just like Pete did. In the very next verse of Matthew chapter 4, we read 18 and 19. And in the very next verse, Pete, uh, this is what it says. And they left their nets at once and followed him. I mean, they, they got out of the boat, just left everything and, and followed him. We got to do, we got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Because if you're not willing to do whatever it takes, you really don't want to learn it. You really don't want to learn it. You can't get, you, you can't go in with a part-time attitude and expect full-time results. It's not, it's, it's not going to happen. 
you got to be willing to do whatever it takes. The lies that we tell ourselves is this. I'm not capable of doing whatever it takes. Yes, you are. You are capable of doing whatever it takes to become the person that God wants you to be. You are capable of doing whatever it takes, but you're going to have to make sacrifices. And if you're not willing to make the sacrifice, you're not willing to learn it. It's that simple. It's that hard. I know. Dying preacher, you know, do you have to pull both triggers? Well, you know, I don't want to lie to you and give you a, a, a false sense of hope or something. If you want to if you want to become the person that God wants you to be, you've got to find a teacher. You've got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And the third thing you've got to do is you've got to put in the practice. In Matthew chapter 14, this is 10, 10 chapters later. Matthew chapter 14, verses 28 through 31. It says, then Peter called out to him, and everybody knows this story. Then Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. <laughs> I love what Jesus, is, Jesus says there. And I mean, you know the story. The disciples are in a boat and there's a storm or something and they're all freaking out. Jesus, he's just strolling out there, moseying on the water. Y'all didn't know Jesus moseyed, but he did. Jesus just moseying out there through the storm. He don't care. He boss, right? That is boss right there. He's walking out there and they see him, they're freaking out. And Jesus is like, hey dudes, it's me. Peace, like, if it's really you, tell me to walk on water out there. <laughs> I just hear Jesus, well, come on, cowboy, get out of here. So guess what Pete does? He climbs out of the boat. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Pete went over the side of the boat and walked on water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to seek, save me, Lord. <laughs> that's, what, that's kind of what I sounded like when that steer was chasing me. Help me, Jesus. Save me, Lord, he shouted, and Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. Jesus said, you have so little faith. Why do you doubt me? Why do you doubt me? See, if you want to become everything that God wants you to be, you've thought that it wasn't capable, that you weren't capable of what you are. You just got to find a teacher. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes, and you got to put in the practice. And practice is about doing a lot of good things and making a lot of mistakes, just like Pete did. You know, we, we can use Peter as an example for a lot of things, but one thing, the, the greatest example he gave was, man, he wasn't afraid to try. He was never afraid to try. Practice is about doing a lot of good things and making a lot of little mistakes. Practice doesn't mean that you're going to get it perfect. It means you're working towards it. Look, man, the, the, the greatest thing I love about Peter is that Peter went big, man. He's a cowboy. <laughs> he made a lot of big mistakes, but Peter, he went big. And if you want to become everything that God has called you to be, you got to go big too. But you can't go big. And be afraid of looking foolish. And you know what? There's going to be times that you do look foolish. Who cares? There's nobody that ever succeeded in life that at some point didn't look foolish. It's part of the process. I've been in competitions before where I literally roped my horse's head. So is Ty. We've all done it. I've roped tails, heads, myself. I've knocked my own hat off. Who cares? Look at the buckle. You got to go big, man. You're going to look foolish sometimes, but it takes those things in order to make you who you are. See, the lies that we tell ourselves is this. Looking foolish is worse than, not, than, than succeeding. No, it's not. You're going to look foolish every once in a while. Who cares, man? Your teacher will stand behind you. And if you're giving everything you've got, so be it. You're putting in the practice. 
fourth thing is you have to fail. You have to fail to become everything that God wants you to be. In Mark chapter 14, we were in Matthew 14. We skipped ahead 10 chapters from Matthew 4 to Matthew 14. Now we're going to skip over two books to Mark 14. Now where this story picks up, you know this story too. Not telling you anything you hadn't heard before. Pete has already denied Jesus twice. Jesus has been arrested, and they're accusing Peter of, of knowing Jesus, and he's already denied him twice, and Jesus told him that before the rooster crows that he would deny him three times. And picking up in verse 71 of Mark chapter 14, Peter swore, swore, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man that you're talking about. Now, you might have made some mistakes, but I bet you've never swore that you never knew Jesus. A curse on me if I'm lying. Man, Pete, that's some strong words. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Suddenly Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows twice. Oh, well, you'll deny me three times. I said three. Got them backwards. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter broke down and wept. Peter failed big time. We're not talking about just these little old silly mistakes of learning. Pete knew better, but he failed big time. And if you're going to be everything that God has called you to be, there's going to be a point in time that you're going to fail big time. Maybe some of you has already done it. That's okay. What are you going to do now? It takes a big failure to make big progress. Sometimes that, that big fail is exactly what we need to springboard us to the next level. The lie that we tell ourselves is this. Failure means that we don't have what it takes, and that's not true. That is not true. That's a lie that we tell ourselves. Well, I failed big time, so I must not have what it takes. You do have what it takes if you've got Jesus. Sure, you failed. That's okay. Get back up because you know what? The fifth thing, I already told you what it was. Success comes last. Success don't come at the very beginning. Success don't come in the middle. Real success comes at the very end. And in Acts chapter 2, we're all the way through the Gospels now. We've made it through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're in Acts chapter 2 now, verse 14 through 41. On Pentecost, it was Peter who gave the sermon, and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. That's a success. The same one, man, that had, that, had, that had done so many, you know, little successes and little failures, and the same one that denied Jesus himself, that failed big time. Man, God still used him to deliver the message at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came in and 3,000 people were saved and baptized. That's a big-time success. God can and will use you in mighty ways, just like he did Peter. There will be many trials, temptations, and failures before you get there, though. We must never believe the lie that we cannot be more than we are today. You can be more than who you are today. I don't care your age. I don't care if you're young. I don't care if you're old. I don't care if you're in the best of health or the worst of health. You have room to grow. And if you want to grow, which you should, you got to find you a teacher. Let a teacher find you. You got to be willing to do whatever it takes. You got to put in the practice, not just once a week when it's convenient. You're going to have to fail, and success comes last. While I've enjoyed growing as a cowboy, it wasn't so that I could win buckles or tell y'all about my buckles. That's not it. It was so that I could be a good neighbor. This ministry was built on serving others through the passions and gifts that God has given me. You don't have to serve in the same way as I do, but I encourage you to become all that God has called you to be so that you can serve others through 
your passions and through your gifts for the glory of God. What will you do? Who will you be? Are you satisfied with who you are right now? God, I pray that they're not. God, I pray that you're not satisfied with who you are now, that you want to continue to grow. And you can follow the example of Peter through all of that. I've been working out at the gym for about five months now. Lots and lots of hard work. And I've learned some valuable lessons on this road. One of those is that you are not supposed to look at other people in the gym or make eye contact. I didn't know this because I had never been in a gym before. But you're not supposed to look at others. And I have come to the realization that you're not supposed to look at others because number one is they, don't, they may not want you to see how out of shape they are. Or they don't want you to see how good a shape they are. Okay? I, I didn't make these rules up. I've just learned them the hard way. So at the gym that I go to, there's this, there's this exercise that you, you grab these two handles and you, and you pull them together like you're doing this big old clap, right? And uh, so I, I was adjusting the weight, you know, because, you know, like Hercules had been in there. And I had to move it up to where there was only like one or two of those plates because I, you know, I wasn't very strong when I first started. <clears throat> and so, I, you know, I'm over there adjusting the weights and I sit down and I grab this one and I turn like this and I grab this one. And I go to, to do my little old exercise and right in front of me at this gym is the, is the tricep dip, right? And this real pretty lady in spandex had just got up there on the tricep dip. And I'm standing there and I go... Oh my gosh, I could literally reach out and touch her butt with my toe. That's how close she is. I don't know what to do. I am in what we cowboys call a quagmire. I am in a spot because I don't know what to do. I had two options. I could stare straight ahead, but it's going to look like I was staring at her hind end. Okay. But, you know, sometimes you just got to act like nothing's going on. I could do that. Or I could get up and walk away until she was done. But I'd already done one rep and it was going to be real obvious. So here I was. I was in a quandary. So I took the third option. Come back next week and I'll tell you what that is. (laughs) Let's close in prayer. In closing, I'd like you to close your eyes and listen to the story of Pentecost and let God speak to you the way God spoke to that first 3,000. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you have crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each one of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children and those far away all those who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. And all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders that all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people.
And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. God, we thank you for that example of how we as Christians should live our lives and to be a part of something greater. Help us to grow. Help us to go out and gather the lost and bring back those that are strayed away. Bandage those that are injured and heal those that are sick. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.